Hello and welcome everybody to the Parent Podcast. We're so thankful that you're joining us today. Uh, this is a ministry of Genoa Church located in Westerville, Ohio. And we do this podcast as a way to team up with parents to hopefully be able to teach your kids a little bit more about scripture. Our whole, um, you could say our mission statement with this podcast is is this. We truly believe this, that if you, uh, your kids will grow if you live out what you know. Your kids will grow if you live out what you know. If you're growing in your knowledge of the Bible and your kids see you living it out, then chances are they'll replicate that. And that's that's what we're all about here. So we, um, we're going to actually step a little bit back in uh, chronological order. We, we'd already talked about the Tower of Babel, but I, my good friend uh, has joined us today, Mike Smith. How you doing, Mike? Very good. Good. Yes, this is the, uh, the second podcast. If you remember... Mike did a podcast earlier uh, last year, actually. It seems like it seems so long ago, mm-hmm. but it was called uh, "Is uh, Teaching Creation Scientific?" and and uh, we we really we spent two hours talking about the implications of uh, the, the belief of creation opposed to evolution and how it lines up scientifically. and And there is a you know after listening that after listening you talk about it, Mike, I got to say I feel there's a lot of good evidence to support the creation account. So that was it was a great podcast and. When we finished, Mike had um, told me that he was uh, he was a little bummed out that we didn't get to talk about babbles because we ran out of time. So um, we figured we'd just go ahead and uh, pick up where we left off. So we're going to talk about the Tower of Babel and and kind of what those implications are. So uh, before we do that, we thought it'd be a great idea to go ahead and uh, just reread Genesis 11, 1 to 11, which is the account of the Tower of Babel, and then we'll dive into it. Does that sound good with you? Sounds great. All right, here we go. Let me read it to us real quick. It says, the whole earth had the same language uh, and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used the brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered throughout the earth. Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, if they've begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there. We'll confuse their language, and they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered, throughout, scattered them throughout the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it's called Babylon, for there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth." And uh, so Babylon, Babel, depending on what Bible you're reading, it's uh, the Tower of Babel. But this, uh, this is a story, just kind of to briefly uh, bring this up, we talked about the Tower of Babel on a previous podcast. And, and the angle that we went is that, uh, you know, these guys were commanded by God to spread throughout the whole earth and, uh, and multiply. Well, when they got to this valley, they really disregarded God's command because they said, you know what, we're not going to spread. We're going to stay here. We're going to build this tower. And the whole reason for them building this tower was to bring glory to themselves. And so when we talked about this um, uh, this podcast earlier, it was called uh, The Symptoms of Babel. It was an earlier podcast. And the whole idea was that, uh, you know, they were putting themselves before God. Well, the cool thing about this story is that uh, a lot of scientists have, have really dove into this. And Mike here, um, uh, you might not have known this, but Mike has an undergrad in physical science, and he has a master's degree in science education from the Ohio State University. Go Buckeyes. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, I.O., yes. Love it. 
but um, but but Mike has been studying this. You know, if you listen to the creation one, you'll realize that he he's done a lot of studying, and and there really are some some really good uh, scientific implications for the Tower of Babel. So let me ask you this question, Mike, and we'll we'll start with this one: Is why do you think it's important that people know about the Tower of Babel? What do you think? Okay, so when you look at the whole account of Genesis one through eleven, there's certain questions or certain uh, oppositions that you run into that all can be answered if you go to the Tower of Babel. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, you know, Cain took his wife, and people ask, where did his wife come from? Um, they look at uh, the races on, on Earth today, and they say, well, how could we have all these races if we all came from Noah and the ark? Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll look at the ark and say, how could a boat hold all those different animals when you consider all the different type of varieties we have on the earth today? Right. I've wondered that myself, actually. So yeah. those are questions that uh, people throw out at me, and honestly, those answers can be answered if you look at the Tower of Babel as, um, as a real historic event. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to jump into that? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Let's jump into it. Okay. Well, well um, I, I know before when we were talking about this, and, I, and I, won't, I won't say the point for you, but I know you had mentioned this word kind, and right. that, that really is, is a huge word. Now, why don't you tell us about that real quick? Right. So if you, you look at Genesis chapter 1, mm-hmm. so many times you see God creating plants, animals, birds, fish, and he makes the emphasis that each is to reproduce after their own kind. And we really don't define the word kind, but we have a sense that there's a boundary. So dogs are going to become dogs, horses are going to become horses, but they don't become giraffes or cats. Mm -hmm. There's a boundary that is fixed, and Mm -hmm. and this boundary seems to be defined around this ability to reproduce. So the general biology term looking at that would say if two animals are capable of reproducing, they're of the same kind. Gotcha. So later we see that word again when Noah is taking uh, animals into the ark, he's instructed to take two of each kind. So again, mm-hmm. we don't know uh, what that word means, but it's the same word. It's again giving us a sense that there are different groups going into the ark and not uh, there's not an infinite variety. For example, uh, if you're taking two dog kind, that doesn't mean you're having to take two Great Danes and two Chihuahuas and two Poodles. They all would have been encompassed or encapsulated by two mm-hmm. animals that would have been the dog kind. Um, coming out of the ark, we would have the same uh, limited number. And uh, then you ask yourself, okay, so if if only two dogs went in and two dogs come out, how do we get all the varieties that we have today? And the right. same question could be asked for all the animals. Right. So then we look at the fact, okay, where did the variety of dogs come from? Well, the answer is that somebody has selected certain male females to produce certain characteristics. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and this is agreed upon whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, um, that someplace they started to selectively breed animals for characteristics, and this was done artificially. So if you wanted a dog with long hair, uh, you would breed a, a male and female that both had that characteristics, and eventually you'd uh, breed out the characteristic for short hair. So all you would get is a long-haired dog. So you would, you would get a certain look, or if you wanted to have a dog that didn't shed like the poodle, there were certain characteristics you looked for, and then artificially you only allowed those animals to get together. And so we've made all the variety by natural uh, controlling, or not natural, actually uh, artificially controlling right. the male-female. Um, 
Well, let, let me ask you a quick question. I just want to kind of summarize that because uh, there was a lot you said there. I know when when you're looking in the the Noah and the Ark account, I, I know that, uh, and you quoted Genesis as well, right? Or uh, the creation account, right. where he says, of every kind. And so ju- just to summarize, tell me if I'm correct here. The word kind you're saying is, are, if they're of the same kind, it's two creatures that have the ability to reproduce. So, so if I say, uh, like for instance, uh, man and woman are of the same kind because they can reproduce, but man and dog are not of the same kind because they can't reproduce. Or more specifically, if you look at uh, the different races on Earth today, right? Uh, we would come up with the conclusion that since the different races are all interfertile, they're all the same kind, therefore we have one race on this Earth. So. Uh, you wouldn't really talk about different races. You'd talk about different subgroups or just right. different uh, cultures. Right. Um, the same thing with the dogs and stuff. Now, you got to watch that because there are some that are not capable of reproducing, not because they're a different kind, but because it's an impossibility. For example, uh, someone says, are we the same kind as a Neanderthal? Mm-hmm. Well, the Neanderthals are no longer on Earth, so we can't reproduce. Therefore, by that definition, they wouldn't be of the same kind. But if they were, maybe we are. So okay. you, you got to watch to saying that's the definitive definition because right. there's some limitations to that. Okay. But that's the general feel because God tells you reproduce after your kind. Gotcha. And okay. The, and the point of the ark was so when they came out, they could repopulate the earth. So again, it was a it was a ability to reproduce of their kind. Gotcha. So so when all the animals were coming onto the ark, t- two of their kind, it says male and a female of their kind. Right. Um, so is it wrong to say, or is it correct of me to say that that uh, a dog, God brought the two original dogs, a man and a girl, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that two poodles came up, two bulldogs, two Dotsons or whatever. Exactly. So, so real quick, I know you, you briefly mentioned it, but let me ask you again. Um, h- how do you account then for the different breeds of dog? If it started off with just two of them, where do we get all this variation of dog from? Right, and this is something that historically they've they've looked into, and they basically said that all the domestic dogs came from the original source, which was a, a, a wolf-like type animal. Right. And then by normal litter happens, there's variety in that litter. Mm-hmm. So what someone has done is they've looked at that, they've looked for things that they like, like maybe one of the offspring had shorter hair or longer hair, one of them had a long nose or a short nose, maybe one barked more than the other. And so they started to characteristically or look for characteristics that they wanted to encourage by breeding together male and females that had the same common characteristic. Mm-hmm. So what happens is you, you start narrowing down the gene pool so the variety is not there anymore so you can get a very predictable result. For example, if you have a purebred dog, Mm -hmm. you're expecting that if you breed them, you're going to get pups of the same type. So you're going to breed Dobermans, they're going to be Dobermans, you're going to breed Chihuahuas, they're going to be Chihuahuas. Mm -hmm. They're not going to come out with some, you know, a a certain one or two that is not following of that breed if it's a purebred. Well, purebred simply means you've bred out these other varieties or these other characteristics that you don't want. So what that means is that that purebred has less variability genetically than the original dog did. So from the Doberman, I could not get the original dog kind because a lot of traits are now no longer possible. But mm-hmm. in the original dog kind, he still had all the variety. So you can make the poodle, the chihuahua, whatever. And it's not by luck. It's by selectively streamlining the genetic material. Got it. So, so you're in DNA. You said they are just tons of different oh traits that are possible for 
So this original, could you say that the two original dogs, like on the Ark, were, they just literally had just an infinite amount of traits that they could pass down, or is it? Yeah, it's not infinite, but it's pretty close. Yes, there's tremendous variety. It's like every family has kids that have differences. You know, they're going to have different eye colors. They're going to have different hair color. They're going to have different characteristics. Well, the more variety in the mom and dad, the more possible variety is going to come out in the children. It's the same with animals of all type, plants also. Right, right, right. So um, let me ask you this before we move on because this is very interesting to me. Uh, when we were talking before, you you had mentioned that one of the implications of evolution is that you start from an original source and the species just kind of branches out, branches out, and then there's an, uh, like just the different varieties of species comes from an original source. You told me that it's actually a complete opposite, right? Correct. So evolution starts with very little variety, and then it it acquires new characteristics through mutations and through adaptation. And what happens is you start with a small gene pool and build to a big variety, a big gene pool. And it's just the opposite. When we're looking at our variety, we start with a very large gene pool. Mm -hmm. And by selectively breeding, we narrow it down to a smaller gene pool so that it's more predictable. So rather than being uh, more diverse, it's less diverse. And what happens is you have... Uh, natural selection is real and adaptation is real, but it's not that you've got new material. You select on material that's already there. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at uh, the Galapagos Islands and the uh, observations of Darwin, he found two islands and he uses the fence as one of the examples. He had one island with fences that had very small beaks. He had another island with fences with very large beaks. He, he uh, assumed that both groups came together from a storm that maybe blew the finches off the mainland. And when they populated the islands, they're both probably very much similar as far as the two populations. Mm-hmm. But then uh, due to natural variation, some beaks were bigger, some were smaller. Mm-hmm. And if the island reinforced one or the other, then the whole population shifted to that. So if one island had a lot of seeds, and the large beak was an advantage, therefore the population shifted to, to fetches with large beaks. On the other island where insects were more common as a food source, then the large beak was a disadvantage and the smaller beak was an advantage because it was easier, lighter to move around. Mm-hmm. So his conclusion was that natural selection selected the small beaks on the island where that was an advantage and selected the large beak on the island where that was the advantage. The fall of that is that they were both there to begin with. It didn't create the large beak. It just simply selected the large beak or the small beak was selected. It was not created because of the the different food sources. It was just selected. So he didn't explain how finches came about or how the large beak or the small beak came about. He simply said if they existed... If there was a condition there that selected one over the other, there's an advantage, then you'd see the population shift, which is really a term that we refer to as Mm microevolution, which is a population shift. Uh, It's not macroevolution, which talks about how a new species comes about. Microevolution is seen every day. We see that. That's an Mm -hmm. adaptation. Macroevolution is only seen on the page of the artist who draws a can't-you-just-imagine picture. Right. So that's where our transition forms and everything comes. It doesn't come from real observations. Gotcha. So so, so an evolutionist would say that the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, they would say that the short-beaked finches would would evolve into large-beaked, but you're saying that 
that it wasn't that they evolved. It was that the the long beak could actually dig into the ground for the seeds while the short couldn't, and they just died off. And they were and, both there to begin with. One didn't originate right. the other. The variety was there already. Right. So then what you'd find is on the island with small beaks, they don't have that gene anymore to develop the large beak. So it's a narrower Right. Genetic load, not a or genetic pattern, not a wider one. Right, and and because of their disadvantage to get the seeds, they die off and right. they can't survive. So, right. that's amazing. I when you explained that to me, I thought that was a, that was a really cool thing. Yeah. So, so tell you what, let me. Um, we're going to wrap this one up here in a couple minutes. How do we tie this in to the Tower of Babel? Because I know that uh, when we're talking about um, uh, of the same kind. This has implications for the Tower of Babel as well, right? So why don't you explain that real quick? Well, with animals, we can selectively breed them by our own choice. We can can look for a certain type of steer, a horse, a dog. When it comes to people, we don't do that. We don't selectively say we want this male and this female to go together because we want to develop a characteristic. Mm-hmm. So within with our freedom of choice, who we're going to marry, uh, you would have this variety continue because we could pick from anyone we wanted to. So it would take an event that would isolate groups of people to force certain genetic patterns to be reinforced and other ones to be eliminated because they weren't available. And that's literally what happened at the Tower of Babel. God confused the language, and people who could not speak together drifted apart. Yeah, they're not going to live together. Exactly yeah. right. So what happened was God scattered them, but he scattered them in groups, and those groups were forced upon us by those languages. Mm-hmm. So God did the selective breeding, so to speak, right there. Right. And it's only been in the last few hundred years that we've started to get back together again because we can communicate Technology, again. all that stuff. And if you watch, a lot of that diversity is starting to um, disappear because we're starting to look more and more as, as one group again. Right, right. Well, well, you know what? That's going to be a great place to stop. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back and, and do the second half of this. So uh, thanks for listening. Stay tuned, and we'll be right back. <laughs> 